Torrent Borealis Paradigm Expansion Greetings from the north and welcome to Forum Borealis today with a brand new show called Forever Young. As the title indicates, we're taking on the greatest thinker in psychology, tangenting even to religion and philosophy, namely the genius known as Carl Gustav Jung, who gave you the concept of persona, collective unconscious, archetype, complex, synchronicity, folk, soul, scientific-based analytical therapy, and many, many other, of which some we shall explore today, albeit at a superficial level. To help us go through this, we speak with Laura London, who, despite her name, is a New Yorker living in Chicago. She's the creator and host of the podcast Speaking of Jung, interviews with Jungian analysts that has become state-of-the-art in the Jungian media. It explores the life and work of C.G. Jung through in-depth discussions with certified Jungian analysts. Laura London has studied experimental psychology at the University of Washington in Seattle and earned her degree in neuroscience from John Carroll University in Cleveland. After working in the fields of neurology, neuroimaging and nuclear medicine, she entered into a lengthy analysis which led her to delve deeply into the work of Carl Jung. She attended a wide variety of lectures and workshops with notable Jungian analysts and authors and worked closely with the Jung Association of Central Ohio and the C.G. Jung Center in Chicago. Laura is a practitioner of Transcendental Meditation and Kundalini Yoga and has been a student of astrology for more than 20 years. After receiving extensive training in remote viewing from a prominent member of the US government's Stargate program, she worked briefly for a time as an operational remote viewer. Recently, she spent three years traveling with Tibetan Buddhist monks on the Mystical Arts of Tibet tour and is an avid supporter of Drepung Luseling Monastery in South India. She's a frequent traveler with a wide range of interests, including the space program and NFL football. Her website, All Things Bill Belichick, was created in the year 2000. After many years of preparation, Laura launched her Jungian podcast in the summer of 2015, at the same time as our forum came into being. It was originally intended to be a series of interviews with Toronto-based and Zurich-trained Jungian analyst and author Daryl Sharp and the other analysts whose work he's published for Inner City Books, but soon grew to include other analysts as well. During her many years of study, she noticed Jung's theories, ideas, and most especially terminology 
had been widely distorted, misinterpreted and misunderstood. In her shows she discuss with the guests who studied Jung in depth to explain the many notions associated with Jung and his work. She reasons that it's better to go as close to the source as possible and talk directly with the people who knows Jungian analytics best, like those who are trained Jungian analysts, those who have studied with Jung's pupils, and classical Jungians, meaning those who practice in the spirit of Jung as closely as possible to the way he worked. Setting up her unique podcast led her to Zurich, Switzerland, to visit the places where Jung lived and worked. Her hope is to bring the theories and applications of Jungian analysis to a wider segment of the public. You can get it all at all the usual podcast places like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play or wherever you prefer getting your shows. You will also find her at social media under the nickname Jungian Laura where she posts daily updates and quotes from whatever she's currently reading. And today you'll find her here at our forum, engaging in a conversation where we discuss and reflect upon several of the key notions associated with Jung, especially in regards to relationship. You're welcome. Welcome to Forum Borealis, Laura. Hi, Al. Thanks so much for having me, Al. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you on. You know, Laura, I I think I can be honest and say this will not be one of my populist shows, but this is one of the programs that I want to make, if you see what I mean. We have some more... I appreciate that. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. <laughs> So I think this will be rather niche, rather small, but uh, for those who are wise enough to pay attention to this show, I think it will be very rewarding. Mm. Say, did you know about our podcast before I co contacted you? <laughs> yes, I did. I have a friend of mine is an avid listener, a huge fan of yours. His name is Andrew Curry. Oh, you're a friend of Andrew. Oh, yes. He is a huge uh, fan. That's true. Yeah. He gives me so many compliments. It's uh, yes. incredible. He's yeah. so polite. He's such a lovely right. individual. And I met Andrew um, the last time I was in Vancouver. Nice. So, nice. yeah, he's the one that told me about you. Did you tell him you were coming on? No, I haven't talked to him in a while. It's actually been... Um, about a month. We usually don't don't go this long without speaking. So yeah, he'll be he'll be excited. I think. <laughs> yes. Now, for those who don't know you, you run an excellent podcast. I'm I'm pretty new to that uh, podcast myself. Uh, more or less stumbled over it. I think we'll. Oh, nice. Gonna get back to details about it at the end, but okay. we have to say it's about. Carl Gustav Jung, and it's called, is it called Speaking of Jung? Was that it? Yeah, Speaking of Jung, Interviews with Jungian Analysts. Right. So you only uh, speak with the professionally educated analysts. 
Well, yes, specifically Jungian analysts. Yes. Yeah. And I make that distinction in, in the episodes, in the podcast, I make the, the distinction between other types of, uh, therapists, psychotherapists, other types of analysts and, um, and Jungian analysts. Right. Um, now let's start with the basics, not dwelling too much about it, uh, but just to get everyone on board. If you could just start saying, uh, you're giving a cliche comprised description of Jung, who that is, why we should care. Mm. Wow. It's huge. <laughs> no, it's huge. I know, I know. And I have to say that I've been studying Jung since maybe the mid nineties. Wow. And I feel like I know that speaking of cliches, that I've barely scratched the surface. In fact, I was on the Philemon Foundation's website earlier, and they're dedicated to publishing all of Jung's unpublished works. Right. And he's been dead since 1961. He's been publishing since, I don't know, maybe 1920, I would say. Mm. Um, looking here really quickly, when his first publication came out, um, sometime in the 1920s, and it, m most of what he's written has not been published. So we've only begun understanding um, the work that he did. All right. So why should we care? Well, first, let me briefly say, Jung was a doctor. He was a psychiatrist, and he was trained in Zurich. And then he... So he was working at a psychiatric hospital called the Burke and a lot of people know about that because they saw the movie A Dangerous Method, yeah. um, which outlines his relationship with Freud and with a patient that he had there named Sabina Spielrein. But she became a psychiatrist on her own right, didn't yes. she? Yes. Oh, yes. What was her name again? Because I have questions about her later. Sabina Spielrein. Spielrein. Okay. Yeah, she was a R Russian Jew. I just called her Sabina. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and you know, I had heard a criticism that she was referred to as just Sabina. Well, it's an first of all, it's an unusual name, I think, for the most part. Mm. And I think Dr. Todd's wife's name is Sabina, right. um, who I interviewed. Right. And... Um, she, it, it's, I don't know, it's kind of like a way of identifying her is there's only one Sabina in that way. So Sabina Spielrein. Criticism? What's the problem with that? No, I don't see a problem with it. Well, they're, that, that, sh that they were kind of maybe. Um, I, I think they said Frida about Frida Kahlo or whatever her name was. Mm -hmm. So, so mm -hmm. it's, it's an honor to be on a first name, I think. That's a nice way of putting it. I like that. Mm. Yeah, and it's not at all meant, well, it depends on who's saying it. I don't mean to um, belittle her or to, to demean her. She was brilliant. She was actually killed by Nazis. Um, she was a Russian Jew, and um, yeah. And I, I hear claims that she actually was behind some of the stuff these guys some did. Some of it. Yeah? Some of it, yeah. Okay. And, one of the reasons why I started the podcast is because there are a lot of rumors surrounding mm. Jung, which bother me. It, it bothers me when I hear rumors about anybody, um, not just myself, but um, <laughs> with, yeah, with other people. And so I, I interview only Jungian analysts because 
<clears throat> I actually wanted to get the first generation, the, the people who worked alongside him and were his students, right. right, and actually attended his lectures. And I'm a little too late to the party for that. They've all, for the most part, they're all gone. But I do know people who studied with them who were in analysis with them. So, for instance, one of Jung's closest colleagues was C.A. Meyer. Mm. And Gary Sparks, who I've interviewed a couple times, and I've got another interview with him coming up. Hang on, hang on. Is that Meyer of the Meyer-Briggs model? No, no. And we'll no. get into that. Yeah. Meyer-Briggs has nothing to do with Jung. Okay. And in fact, I did an episode you sure? Because they ripped off his system. Well, they took his work and they expanded on it. Right. So you mean they didn't physically have anything to do with him? But, but No, uh, they didn't. The, and it's not yeah. Jung's model. Jung's model is different. They expanded on it. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't – I am more of a purist. I'm interested mm. in the classical Jungians. That's just my preference. And That's fine. Although That's fine. one of the criticisms about – Jungian psychology is, you know, it's been like anything big and powerful and and so packed with the ability to change things and so opposed to the general consensus is that it's criticized. And one of the criticisms of it is, oh, it's a cult. It's a religion, which <laughs> is, I find offensive. Um, mm. uh, but like... I will liken it to that in that I don't criticize other people's beliefs, their religious beliefs. Is it appropriate to criticize somebody's religious beliefs? Those are their beliefs. So this, this branch of psychology, if you will, mm -hmm. works for me. It speaks to me. And it's not because I went into it blindly. I have studied lots of different fields of psychology, lots of different religions. I've immersed myself in new age thinking, yogas, meditations. I've traveled a lot um, throughout the world. I've experienced lots of different things. I feel like I've lived a long life already. And um, this is what speaks to me. So sure. when somebody comes at me and criticizes it, my knee-jerk reaction is to be offended, but that is just you know it, it, that's about them. So, but we can yeah we can we can go more into that later. I have questions about all that stuff. Okay. Um, and uh, you're preaching to the choir, by the way. I mean, nobody can deny his huge contribution to philosophy, psychology, and religion for that matter. And by the way, now that Freud is debunked and revealed for the crook he was, uh, I think that even lifts Jung further up. Oh, yeah. Now, you mentioned his system, different from Myers-Briggs. Yeah. And just to those who doesn't know what I'm talking about, it's this system of personality traits where you also can find how people go together and they have this introvert, outrovert, everybody's seen it. You can Google it if you don't, not sure. But I have to say it's built on the four elements and uh, uh, so did Jung. But could you, could you give us an outline of, of Jung's approach to this? Sure. Jung called it typology mm -hmm. and it is actually one of the volumes of the collected works. I think it's six looking right here. 
Um, yes, it's called Psychological Types. So it's volume six of the collected works. And Jung, just going back to your initial question, he, one of the things about him that I like the most is how long he worked, how many decades he worked. So mm-hmm. he was born in 1875 and he worked right up until his death in 1961. And he, he too traveled the world and studied lots of different cultures. So through all of his experiences and his travels and his work with lots of different kinds of people, you know, that he, he was Swiss and he was white, but he interacted with lots of different kinds of people. Hmm. Um, he came up with, with, um, this, this theory of personality and it, it, along with everything else he said, he doesn't like to make hard and fast rules. And the, like I said before, and I'm going to keep repeating this, there are a lot of misunderstandings. And he felt that part of him felt that um, his work was misunderstood. And I just want to say that. Yeah, let me just um, corroborate that. Uh, okay. Two of the very famous concepts attributed to him is archetypes and synchronicity. Yep. And that is pretty abused and uh, <laughs> widened out uh, in today's world, especially New Age. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's uh, actually, if you listen to some of the earlier episodes of my podcast, I say that the reason why I started the podcast is because I wanted to clear up ah, right. synchronicity. Uh, I've g- since gotten away from that because mm-hmm. I have much bigger fish to fry. But um, <laughs> the, the misuse of that word used to drive me crazy. Right, right. But going back to types and typology... And, and I, and I do want to say too, that I try to get my information and I'm getting better and better at this because it means more and more to me to get my information about Jung firsthand by reading Jung, first of all, or by, I should say, and by reading and watching videos. I was just doing that this week of the people that knew him, Mm. his secretary, Anila Yaffe is who he dictated his autobiography, Memories, Dreams, Reflections, to. I was watching an interview with her, a video interview with her, and she's the one who said that he felt that his work was misunderstood. So I don't like to get my information from somebody who read something that was written by somebody who heard something. Yes, very nice. It's, I'm done, you know, enough of that. I want to get to what this man said because he was... To me, he was a genius. So going back to your original question is there are two main attitudes, Mm -hmm. introverted, extroverted. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then in addition to that, there are four types, thinking, feeling, intuition, and sensation. And so the combinations, you pair introverted with the four types, you pair extroverted with the four types. Right. Could I just um, shoot in something quick mm-hmm. to all our we – have, we have some esoteric-inclined um, listeners. So I'll just translate this for them. Okay. Uh, intuition type is fire. Thinking type is air. Feeling type is water. And sensation type is earth. And intro is minus polarity and extra is plus polarity. Mm-hmm. This, this will – 
probably not mean anything to people who's not into esoterica, but for everybody else, you, you know what I, I, I'm talking about. Okay, continue. Okay. So he came up with it because he wanted to try to explain the differences between people. And he was observing Freud and Adler, who were early in his in his uh, in his work, were his closest collaborators very early on. And he saw that they saw things differently. They were looking at the same thing, but they were seeing them differently. And what he determined is that we see things through our own lens, where we're coming from. Mm. So introversion and extroversion. So it's introversion and extraversion. Extra, um, okay. Yes. Mm. And in introversion, the movement of energy is toward the inner world. Yeah. If I'm just putting this very basically. And in extroversion, the interest is more directed to the outer world. They're just different, right? And yep. I don't know about there in Norway, but here in America, for the most part, it is an extroverted society. And that's why I think introverts are, I don't know, ha have a little bit more trouble getting along mm. or fitting in because introverts are more hesitant, reflective, have retiring natures. We sort of shrink away from things, um, always slightly on the defensive. Yeah, an extreme, I'd say an extreme type of an extrovert would be HDD or whatever it's, H-A-D-H or whatever it's called. And uh, an extreme type of an introvert would be an Asperger. What do you think about that? Well, yes, that I would say that those are extremes, but I'm not so sure that, um, if I'm being honest, I'm not so sure that those things have to do with one's type. That's mm. something I'd have to think about. No, there can be disorders, but uh, but in a way, I think they symbolize at least those extremes. Yes, yes that's well put, that they symbolize it. And I also want to say that last night I was going, I was wanting to have an early night. Um, it, was, it was Saturday night and I was looking through my DVDs and I saw that I actually had a couple of interviews of Jung on video that I hadn't watched like start to finish before. Mm, nice. And one of them is, it's probably all over YouTube, which I have an actual problem with people ripping things off of copyrighted material and putting them on YouTube. Mm. Um, I think YouTube should just be for original content, but that's yeah, just me. So, um, yeah, so there is a famous interview that Jung did 18 months before his death with the BBC with a show called Face to Face hosted by somebody named John Freeman. And from what I understand, I'm not very familiar with the show, is that they typically didn't do in-person um interviews or, or they had people come to the studio. But in this instance with Jung, who um, was, gosh, like I said, he was at the end of his life. So wow. and the world knew who he was. The whole film crew and the host went to his house there in Zurich or in Kusnacht outside of Zurich and filmed this interview. And it's about 30 minutes. It's in black and white. There's some extreme close-ups of Jung's face when he's speaking, and that's a whole other subject that maybe we can get into later. Um, 
is uh, what I was thinking is audio, the differences between audio and video and being able to see somebody's body language. Um, But the reason why I brought this up is because he mentioned type changing and where I, and I did an episode of this, of the, my podcast, it was episode five with Daryl Sharp, who wrote a book about Jung's typology. It's called personality types, Mm -hmm. Jung's model of typology. Um, Jung said that our type is not static. It changes. And the analyst that I interviewed for that episode did talk about how he used to be more introverted. And I really related to this because it's happened with me. I used to be painfully introverted. And Daryl Sharp said that now, later in life, he became more extroverted. And that is ideal is to because the psyche is always seeking wholeness. So in order to balance, yes, yes, or, or wholeness, because we all contain it all. Mm. So, um, we, and we can get into the inferior function when we talk about the four types, because right now we're just speaking of, um, introversion. Yeah. And extroversion, um, which are the modes of adaptation. So, Jung said that our type changes. And when I see people online who identify themselves by their Myers-Briggs type, (laughs) it scares me a little bit because I think that they are putting themselves in a box and they're saying, this is who I am. This is what I am. Well, Jung said that it was all about developing our inferior function. What's the addition that uh, Myers-Briggs model did? I I forgot. Uh, Because they have all this stuff that you mentioned here, intra-extra thinking, feeling, intuitive sensation. They added, you know, honestly, I'm just not interested in their model. (laughs) So, but I do know a little bit about it. They've added judging and perceiving. Oh, right, right, right. I think, um, but I, I... Again, I'm more of a purist, yeah, and I'm in, interested in what Jung said, not in that's what weird. Myers or Briggs said. But that's so weird because thinking and judging is pretty similar. The same is sensational and perceiving. So I, I, don't I don't know. Yeah. So then we have the four types, thinking, feeling, um, sensation, and intuition. And for instance, with myself, I have a very strong sensation function, and I don't hear a lot of people say that. Um, so it, that's about concrete reality and facts and numbers. Mm. I'm very punctual. I care about punctuation and grammar and I need proof. I need to be able to see it or hear it or touch it or taste it or smell it. And I'm not very intuitive. So whatever your Mm. main function is, the opposite is your inferior function. So which you need to approach and work with to to, yes. to become whole. Yes, and you need a lot of patience. Well would you also say that or would Jung say or, or the analysts say that if we lack something we are by default attracted to that? Well now you're getting into projection. Um mm-hmm. so yeah I, I suppose you could say that just in generally just generally. Mm. Um, so, um, that's interesting. 
I forgot where I was going with that, but um, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to say I'm an extrovert. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> not that orderly. I'm more chaotic in my conversations than you. Oh, okay, so okay. You, you, this will be a challenge for you, but I'll try to let you finish your thought. Okay, that's quite all right. I'll I'll go where I'll go where you go. Cool. So I know I just wanted to mention this that um, so these tests, right, like the Myers Briggs, they don't attest for the changes that one undergoes during one's lifetime. Mm. We do change. So I did want to say something about um, the inferior function. And again, I did, I did an episode of the podcast where the analyst, it was Barbara Davies. I Mm -hmm. actually, we were in Zurich when we did the interview. Um, I didn't plan on talking about typology, but that's where, that's how it started. That's how mm-hmm. the interview started. I asked her, why do people clash? Mm. And she talked about type. Mm. You know, we um, are coming from a totally different, it, it, totally different, I don't know how to say this, like maybe lenses. I, I keep going back to that word, the lens that we see the world through. So, um, th- so there's tension but that's not a bad thing. Tension makes things more interesting. No, it, it can become war or it can become hot sex. I mean, yeah. tension is just energy. How we handle it is what determines yep. how it will, and, w- what outcome it will find. Yeah. And, and about asking yourself, what does this say about me mm. instead of putting it on the other person? Projection. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. So she, she's talked about how we have first, second and third functions and in that fourth function is where we are extremely unconscious. So they are a pair of opposites. Thinking and feeling are on one. So if you if you think of a cross and just arbitrarily put thinking at the top, feeling would be at the bottom. Mm. And then in the horizontal arm of the cross, sensation would be on one end and intuition would be on the other. So where whichever one is your dominant function, the the opposite end is your inferior function. Hmm. So she was talking about the importance of that and how developing it is kind of our task in the second half of life is developing that inferior function. Exactly, second half, because I was thinking when you said that, he said that uh, people changed, they went static. Mm-hmm. There's two ways to understand that. One, it's automatic and all the time. Two, that it's about the individuation process that if you work upon yourself, you can accelerate it, but at any rate, it will happen with age. Mm-hmm. Isn't that last interpretation more what he meant, that... We, we kind of dream because I, I'm the same as you. I started much more extrovert, but I've been doing meditation my whole life. So I become, I'm still not introvert, introvert, but I become less extrovert. So I'm, I'm guessing I'm getting towards in, uh, introvert. So isn't that just something that age and, uh, yeah. will do? Plus you can accelerate it deliberately. Yeah. I don't, yeah. Actually, yes. I think so. Um, I, just to clarify, I was always introverted and now I'm much more extroverted and it wasn't like I, I made a conscious decision or was even really aware of it. I mean, I knew that I was introverted. I didn't say, okay, now I need to become more extroverted. I just think that when I reached midlife, 
um, which Jung wrote a lot about mm. midlife, which he said uh, begins in the late 30s, uh, that I started to become more extroverted and, you know, working on the inferior function. Now the inferior function, the fourth function, it doesn't mean that we don't have that. It just means that it's in the unconscious. Mm. We, we do have it. It just isn't as handy. No. Okay. So, um, the Myers Briggs, yeah, I think we covered that. I was just making notes here. Yeah, they screwed it up. But but I think there's a couple of other oh. concepts that's very important here when you mention the subconscious because obviously Jung is very known for the concept of anima and animus, yes. which also is very misunderstood, but which is very essential to understand uh, genders and how we relate. In fact, I'm... Uh, very convinced that uh, he, he's right when he, he says that uh, how, take me then, I'm a male, how I relate to women is very much determined of um, the level or the condition, uh, maybe I should even say the maturity of my anima. Sure. And how you relate to men is very much related to your animus. And then yeah. he, I believe, he introduced three or was it four levels of that evolution of anima and animus. But maybe you can give us a, a brief, for those who have no idea what that is, how would you describe it? Well, basically, uh, the anima is the inner feminine side of a man. And it is actually, it's a personal complex that every man has, but it's also an archetypal image, mm. you know, uh, the archetypal image of a woman in the male psyche. Mm. So it's, it's an unconscious factor. Uh, and I guess, I guess the traditional psychological explanation that it's mostly influenced by the leading, um, role model in your formative young years of the opposite gender, for anima and animus in males and women. Well, Jung talks about imagos and their inner images. And for the anima in a man, it's an imago of not only the mother, but also the imago of the daughter, the sister, the mm. beloved, uh, the goddess. Mm. So they carry... So there are some objective things, not just from your life, but there are some... Yes, if they're archetypal. Yeah, archetypal. Yes, mm. right. So they are, these these outer women then become the carriers or right. the embodiment right. of the man's anima. Of course. Right? But yeah. it is his complex. Mm. So he's going to project things onto her. And Jung said that when we fall in love, that's a projection. That doesn't mean it's bad. That doesn't mean it's wrong. No. Okay, it's what we do. It's how the psyche operates. Um, but recognizing that it's a projection and peeling that off the other person. Um, if you want to have tr a true relationship, then it can't be a projection. You know, so when the projections are withdrawn, then you see if there's any relationship any real relationship that that's remaining but that's going kind of deep so <laughs> yeah 
That's okay. But uh, he talked about individuation, right? Oh, yeah. How would you translate that to our current language, modern language? Well, I'll, I'll, instead of reading a definition, how about I say what I think it is? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Oh, right. So it's becoming who you really are. It's right. becoming who you, we are unique, right? So I don't know. We haven't talked about astrology. If you're interested in astrology, um, which is a, your natal chart, your birth chart is like taking a snapshot of the sky the moment you're born. Mm. That is unique and different. There are no two that are the same because it's not just the sun and the moon and the planets, but also the minor planets, the asteroids, the houses, the fixed stars. Yeah. Yes, exactly. The exact minute and second you were born which determines the angles it's very complex no no no, no horoscope is alike yeah almost. so, so it's yeah. individuation is in about separating from the parents separate psychologically mm. separating from the parents psychologically separating from the tribe and developing your personality that doesn't mean isolating yourself or cutting these people off. It means psychologically differentiating who you are from who they are. And that's why I have an issue with pop psychology. I have an issue with a lot of the, the influences in um, the society here in America where it's so heavily concerned with celebrity and television mm. And oh, that's the modern gods, you know. Yes, and movies. And, well, movies, we can talk about mythology. So I'm not going to go there, but I'm going to go to shows, TV shows like, you know, I, I don't even know what they are anymore. I think the popular ones are The Dr. View. Phil. Oh, God, don't get me started. <laughs> Oprah and Dr. Phil. Yeah. Uh, and these talk shows that are telling people like the chew the talk the view they're telling people oh, this right, right. this is what to think and to, yeah, to yeah. all think alike and to all dress alike and to all look alike and here's what's hot now here's what's popular now and so everybody winds up dressing alike looking alike yeah, talking yeah. alike thinking alike well it used to be like that my friend it's dying mainstream media is dying the young people yeah. growing up now is listening to you they're listening to us rather than to to that bullshit Good so point. let's not even feed that uh, old meme it's it's dying it's a it's a very slow death but let it die in peace okay. besides i think my listeners are above that so um, I, I think we all agree. I think you're preaching to the choir now. So, so let's move beyond the, that. Okay. And get you, you were going somewhere with this. Well, I was I was talking about individuation and becoming who you are yeah. instead of um, fitting in. So it's about differentiating. The goal is developing your individual personality. Um, you had asked about that, and yep. and. It, you know, divesting yourself of the persona and um, seeking your wholeness, I guess, is what I, is is another very important part of individuation is developing your contrasexual side. So um, my inner male, 
working with that, working with the shadow, mm. integrating that. Also looking at the inferior function and what I neglected to say when I was talking about Jung's typology is um, there it's where we're dominant in one of the four types is typically called um, the it just slipped my mind now the superior function i'm sorry there's the inferior okay. function but there's also the su superior function where we're most comfortable where we go by default right yeah so individuation is basically becoming uh, mature because that's uh, you have to be independent mm -hmm. to be yeah. mature all the stuff you're describing is about becoming, and, and I mean, it's an old concept rising to the idea that we can all grow and that we have a destination to grow to. Sure. It's it's very innate in the myths. Uh, I mean, Joseph Campbell, all that stuff, uh, the hero's journey. It's as much about our own inner journey as it's <laughs> about describing anything without. Yeah. But I think you, you touched some very essential things we, we need to put some light on and that's the concept of the shadow okay and because i see that when he talks about stuff in the subconscious and you talked about bringing it to the light of the consciousness he talked about uh, figures or whatever is the right word that are at the threshold between the subconscious and the conscious um and, and I believe, uh, you know, the shadow is different from animus and anima, right? So oh, how, yes. how would we distinguish this? Well, the shadow is not necessarily bad, evil, dark. It's what we disown, mm. what we don't see about ourselves. So it's, to put it basically, it's positive and negative qualities that we don't that we won't admit to having that we're not aware of in ourselves so let me introduce a very cliche example mm -hmm. you're in a relationship and the man is extremely jealous and controlling mm -hmm. and he's suspicious of you being um, uh, unfaithful okay and then it turns out he's uh, an infidel all the time yeah classical projection right yes yes and his shadow is then put on you Yep. Because he won't uh, admit to or confront or work with his own repressed things. Yeah. And so he puts it on you. Could that be an example? Exactly. Great example. Yep. Common example, yeah. I think. Yes. So with the shadow and shadow work, um, you know, what do we do with that? So we need another person to do shadow work. We need a mirror. We need somebody to point uh. these things out. Right. in us. And um, something that I had just done, if I could use this as an example, is I just started my own YouTube channel because I wanted to start doing video. I believe that... Nice. I Welcome to the tube. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. I'll make I sure to like it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I think body language is very important. And Hang on. Hang on. What's it called? The YouTube channel? Well, my name is... My my name on YouTube is Jungian Laura, just like my um, just like my Twitter name, Jungian Laura. But I started well. In order to have a YouTube channel, I think you have to have a Google account, 
And my email address has been for the past 15 years, RV Kitty. And I got that nickname um, when I was training to become a remote viewer. Remote viewing is abbreviated RV. Mm. And I wore a hat because we did extended remote viewing like they did in the movie Minority Report where we would lie on the floor um, and we would get cold. So I wore a knit hat that had an angry cat on it and they called me Kitty and sort of my nickname has been Kitty for a long time. And so that's how (laughs) I got RV Kitty. So my YouTube name, my YouTube channel, I hope to be able to change this, it to Jungi and Laura. Yeah, I think you can change it. I'm still waiting to get 100 subscribers so that so that I can get my own um, YouTube address so it can be... People, go to her channel now and subscribe. If, if nothing else, just to help her get the proper name, okay? I appreciate that. <laughs> so yeah, it's youtube.com slash rvkitty, R-V-K-I-T-T-Y. And... Um, where was I going with this shadow work? Yeah. What I did was I started off on YouTube or sorry, Facebook live. And I, my intention was just to do it and then delete it. But what happened when I was, I think I did this in January was my first one. I was on Facebook live for about an hour. And when it finished, I thought, well, let, let me see what this looks like. So I watched the whole thing back mm-hmm. and I saw things about myself that I was never aware of. <laughs> Video is very great for that. <laughs> so, right. So when you look in the mirror, it's not about just looking in the mirror. When you look in the mirror, you're staring into the mirror. Right. You're just looking. You're yeah. not speaking. Typically, you're not speaking. If you are speaking, you're not necessarily having a conversation. So what I'm doing in these video updates is I'm having a conversation with the camera, basically. So I am making facial expressions. I'm gesturing. I have my, you know, my tone of voice changes and I'm fidgeting. I'm looking at how much I touch my hair. (laughs) I adjust my, I adjust my top. I fiddle with my necklace. I'm seeing things about myself and my, when my eyebrows go up, when my eyes get wide, when I put my head down, when I look to the side, I'm seeing all these things that I had no idea that everybody who comes in contact with me can see, but I can't. So I thought this is a whole other level of shadow work that I could do. That's right. Without a partner, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. what can we do with our shadow, with the things that, and, and here's the thing, when we argue with someone, we have a conflict with somebody. It's typically when they see something in us that we don't see and we deny it. That mm. right there tells you that's shadow, your shadow. And so. When, yeah, but what, what if they are projecting their shadow onto you then? Then it's not about what you got. Well, there's always a hook. There's always a hook. You, you mean it has to have some kind of resonance in the other? Yes. Right, right. Yes, right. So if somebody accuses me of something and it, well, I don't know where I'm going with this one, but um, if there is a reaction, well, we didn't talk about complexes, but 
If there is a big emotional reaction or even a twinge or a physical reaction, that indicates that it's a complex. Mm. And the shadow is a complex too. Yeah. And it, it's a very complicated um it's a very complicated theory. Jung has written a lot about it. I think it's the most under um, developed aspect of modern psychology. In fact, I was when I was interviewing. Oh, but in pop psychology, it's very popular, mm, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. Is, is it here? People I know, shadow work and all that, it's become a new age concept. Mm -hmm. Well, do they do they wrestle with it and consult it and make friends with it so that they don't act it out? I guess that's different. It depends on the system. but uh, Because I think that shadow work is the most difficult part of, of our work and analysis. Sure. Because it's so much easier. And I see this. Oh, gosh. I see this online, on social media, every day, on Twitter, on Facebook, mm -hmm. even on Instagram. People are complaining about the government, about politicians. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing with Donald Trump became this huge topic in the Jungian world because of all of the projection that was going on around yeah. him. So, yeah, so I did do a couple episodes and... Oh, both both Hillary and, 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 and Donald were extremely projection. I, I don't think I've seen politicians in modern times carrying more projections than those two. I agree. It's incredibly fascinating. Yeah. And uh, somebody that for I... For negative projection, at least. Right, 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 right. A and for positive, I mean, Hillary, yeah, you know, just because I'm a woman doesn't mean that I should vote for Hillary Clinton to become president. I don't, I didn't think she was fit to be president. I didn't want to see her president. Mm. It has nothing to do with being a woman. It has nothing to has, do with... has to do with being rational. Well, it's who she is, mm. man or woman. And what she represents, I think, is... Because, I, I mean, you, you could remove Hillary, but the same people, the same forces... But now we're going into politics, which yeah, is Yeah, we don't want to go there. We, we don't want to waste a valuable time. No, no. <laughs> you, were, you were talking about uh, shadow work, how complex yeah. it is. Well, I, I just use that as an example because everything that gets projected onto this other person has to be swallowed by us. What we project onto another person right, has right. to be swallowed and seen. And uh, and so that's that's not easy. I'm not I don't mean to say that this is easy and everybody should be doing it. This work is not for everybody. Yeah, but wasn't the idea of Jung that Ideally, in the individuation process, in a maturity, in our growth, we should become friends with the shadow and, and try to flush out as much as possible so we can deal well, with it. But I don't know that everybody has the capacity to do that. It takes a strong ego. No, that's something else. I mean, some people are retarded. I mean, everybody can't do everything. Right. But let's just say that if we have a, a uh, if you're talking about a method for growth uh, individually yeah. and in relationship, I think uh, trying to work with your shadow is essential. And I also think I'm much more aware now than I was before how important it is to work with your anima and animus. I'll give you a brief example from my own life. Yeah. 
I've had some girlfriends over the time, but I've had a so-called crazy one. She was a BPD, okay? She was a what? BPD, borderline personality disorder. Oh, yeah. sorry, okay. Yeah, 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 that's sorry. Oh my God, so many problems that came from that. But anyway, the thing is, I realized my anima was sick. My anima needed to be healed so that I didn't attract that kind of energy in women. Because you said a very something very interesting. You said that they are carriers of this archetype. Yeah. And, and, and that's the concept here that I see so many women, especially women, complain. Oh, I can't get the proper man. Oh, and they always go to men that are bad for mm. them and and sometimes some of them try to force themselves to be with someone they they look at the outer objective values oh he's like this okay he's got money he's kind he's takes responsibility he's fond of kids okay let me try this because my mental analysis tells me he's good for me okay i come in a relationship with him and i'm dead bored so i either you know, go out again or I even uh, become unfaithful. I get into all sorts of trouble. Yeah. They don't realize that in order to, you, you can't just sit down and decide, I want a better partner. You have to go inwards and you have to heal your animus in this case. And when that animus becomes more sound, it becomes lifted up to the next level because I, I believe he, he put them into levels. I forgot the terms now. Sophia, I remember, was one of them. Uh, I think believe Eva too. Yeah. But anyway, and when it comes up to a higher level, then you will see that w when that growth has happened in you, suddenly you are, are attracted to different kind of men in this case. The same goes for uh, men, of course, and, and females. Sure. So, so you have to work inwards to actually get a better partner outwards. It's, it's for some, it may be very self-evident, uh, but to others, it may be a revelation. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that, I think Jung said that, I can't remember who said this, the, the most important thing was um, that saying, I'm sorry, it's not, in my head right now what it's called, but as above, so below, as oh, within, yeah. so without. Right. So your, your inner world will be reflected in your outer world. Mm. And the stages that you were talking about, um, did you mean the stages of anima development that Eve is the first stage? Is that the bitch? No, no. She's actually, Eve is actually uh, the anima that's indistinguishable from the personal mother. Oh, right. So that's where the whole Madonna complex comes in. Eve. Well, the, the man can't function well uh, without a close tie to a woman because he's still tied to the personal mother. Mm. And then in the second stage, it's um, Helen of Troy, where the anima is this ideal sexual image. Okay. And then in the third stage, it's Mary, where... The anima will manifest. That's the Madonna. Yeah. Yes, in religious feelings and the capacity for long-lasting relationships. Mm. And then in the fourth stage is Sophia, um, also called wisdom in the Bible. In the Bible? No, in all ancient traditions. Okay. Far surpassing the Bible, yeah. Okay, right. Well, the anima in that stage functions as a guide. Uh, you know, is wisdom a guide to the inner life? That's the highest level of the the anima growth. Yes, and the goddess. Yes, so 
she, you know, cooperates in the search for meaning and she's the creative muse in, in an artist's life. So ideally, a man would want his anima to progress through these stages as he grows older. And the sooner the better, guys. Take it from me. <laughs> well, it's a lot of work, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's but not it, easy. I mean, if it's important to you, you, you will devote yourself to well, it. And as long as she, the anima, remains unconscious, everything she stands for is going to be projected. Yep, you're a slave of uh, guys who have these black widows, you know, mm -hmm. or, or the femme fatale. They are slaves of their sick anima and they project and they walk around life and then something triggers it. A woman is carrying an energy yeah. that triggers that thing in him. And that's how he becomes possessed and hooked on her. And here's a very important thing I think we should also air. Mm -hmm. And that's the fact that when Jung called these, these um, archetypal personal names for the anima, the female in man, it's because in man she is personified. But the interesting thing, when he named uh, the animus, he gave a generic, a functional name because, because according to him, it was a thousand faces for the woman. It wasn't personalized for a woman. And I've seen, and that's so interesting because you have concepts like, you know, these, uh, this movie, what's it called again? Um, Tom Cruise goes to a ceremony with people wearing masks, eyes wide shut, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. There's so many women, especially women, I can't count them, <laughs> who is triggered by that. And I figured it's straight to the animus. And the same, you have the same... Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You mean women who watch the movie get triggered by it? Yeah. And, How so? Oh, and they romanticize. Oh, they're so attracted to the concept of this, um, uh, all these masks, all this impersonal. It, it the goes, orgy? Well, kind of, but it's not the porn aspect of it. No, it's no. it's the animus aspect. It's because they they have an animus relating to this. You see the same in the uh, erotic novel called The Story of O. You have the exact same archetype. O is this person who's going through this very heavy BDSM kind of growth, mm -hmm. and every and, and and it's a woman who wrote it, and it's all these faceless men who in her progression from being a complete slave to becoming, uh, I think, the leader of the school or something, uh, she's relating to all these faceless men, these masked men. And this is right up the alley of Jung's animus. I believe he called it, I, I don't remember, engineer is one of them. The warrior, I think, was another. Do you remember these levels of the animus? I, I'm, I'm not familiar with that, actually. Okay. Warrior and engineer. Well, it's just a, an equivalent of the sure. uh, anima, but but he he didn't give them personal names because the man seeks a personal um, oh. relation kind of expression of the anima, whereas the woman are impersonal in man. I, I guess it's the polarity again, like intra extra mm. thinking, feeling, etc. You know, you're right. I don't see that that he came up with names. Um, he did talk about the four stages of animus development in a woman and that there are well, look into there are it, then. no names. Yeah. Um, Hopefully something you've overlooked. Wait, the first stage. No, I, I'm agreeing with what you're saying that I okay. don't, I don't 
see that um, personified? Is that what you meant? So the, the, the first stage that he appears in dreams and in fantasies, it's all about um, the physical power of the man, the athlete, the muscle man, the thug. And then in the second stage, it's about, um, I don't know, kind of like the desire for a career and independence. And then it transforms the next stage to um, more about the word, you know, the professor, the clergyman. And then in the final stage, it's the sage. like the, the, the spiritual being, you know, in the highest level, kind of like how uh, the anima is Sophia. The animus um, is more of like, um, I don't know, maybe Hermes, you know, the messenger of the gods. And, yeah. and could be a good word for it. Yeah, and so, but any of these aspects can be projected onto an outer man. And that will lead to, you know, unrealistic expectations and acrimony because you're not, as I said in the beginning, you're not seeing the other person for who they are. Exactly. It's your stuff. It's a mirror, isn't it? it, Yeah, if you're not in touch with who you are, if you don't, you know, back to know thyself. If you don't know yourself, you're going to project all of your stuff onto another person and then you're going to be mad at them. But I, I venture that uh, majority of mankind is doing this in rela- not even even not just in ordinary man-woman relationship, even in friendships and co-workers. Well, yeah, this doesn't just apply to, to love relationships. No. It applies to all relationships and and we're not we're not doing the work. Why are we not doing the work? Because we're so distracted by other things. Why are we distracted by other things? It's so much easier to blame, to point the finger. And that's the disadvantage of being too extrovert. You won't even be mm. able to work upon these things because you won't even acknowledge or see it. Mm. You only go walk around being triggered by projections, right? Well, I've never thought about it as as it being a problem of extroversion. I'd have to think about that. Um, Not doing the inner work, not being as reflective, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, there's advantages to being extra and it's advantages to being intro. I'm just saying one of the disadvantages of being extra is that it takes a little more Mm -hmm. to acknowledge these inner realities. Mm -hmm. Right. Because we're not naturally reflective. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but for me, um, right now, my main focus is on shadow work because of how much of it I'm seeing and mm. the danger in not owning one's own. And y- you don't even have to call it shadow with somebody. You can just say that um, what you're upset about in the outer world has to do with your inner world. So it's about you. And that gives people power because I see so many people upset right now with feeling mm. like they they want to change the world, but they can't. Uh, feeling that they are uh, victims of society. Yeah, but I mean, people are, they are victims in society too. It's not just uh, a feeling. But I mean, you can be a victim, right? Sh- well... <laughs> I, I think it depends on the situation, but I think ultimately, yeah, yes. Uh, let's say you're raped. Then you have two choices in a way. You can stay in the victim energy 
and maybe that's what you're talking about, or you can try to move out of it. But you have been a real victim at some point. I I think so. Yes, you you endured a, a traumatic experience. Yeah. But looking at what led to that and how you get out of that, I think, is the work that needs to be done. That's what you own. Right. I agree. Right. So all of that other stuff comes with it. Being upset at the other person, being angry, being in grief. I'm not discounting any of that. I'm mm. saying, where do we go from here? And that's what um, I wanted to say earlier about what's different about Jungian psychology. It's where the person's going. It's not so much looking at the past, like mm. the Freudians do, um, not looking at what, you know, mom and dad and what happened, but it's where am I going? And looking at dreams to tell us how do we move forward. Right. So that's, I think, what's positive about Jungian psychology is that it's, it's about uncovering who we are and where we're going. And I like uh, Gary Sparks' comment that he made about what um, – what his job as an analyst is, is in helping people know who they are so that they're not seducible. Mm. Okay. Because we do fall victim to tyrants. He talked about this when we don't know who we are. And he talked about the analyst seeing who that person is, their, their patient, or I I don't like to use that word because I didn't consider myself ever to be sick. Um, but, the word is analysand. It's just an awkward word. Um, can we see who the analysand is and help them become the person that they are? Because Jung believed, he believed, that we are born with a blueprint inside of us. Like the horoscope? I think so. Mm. I think so. And it's about becoming who we are as an individual. So... Yeah. What did he call that? That that was individuation. Um. No, I think that individuation is more of a that process. But as far mm. as how he saw, we're not born a blank slate. The tabula rasa. Uh, yeah, skinnerism. Yeah. 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 It, it wasn't. He wasn't about that at all. No. Uh, I think Jung is to spiritual people what skinner is to materialists <laughs> oh i like that yeah <laughs> so okay so um yeah, but uh, the shadow that's uh, i i think you say you're working a lot with that now but i think that's maybe also one of the most important thing you can work on in a relationship uh, in a not, relationship, yeah. Yeah, uh, for both of you, right? Not just for yourself, but for both yeah, of you. Yeah, and it's difficult. If, if two people in a relationship is aware of the shadow mm-hmm. uh, concept, at least, I think it's easier to deal with conflicts in the relationship than when they're not. Because I, I look back to, on my relationships, the worst was with the BD, uh, what was it, uh, BPD person. Okay. And she was compla- she projected all her shit onto me it was terrible yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It was just My- terrible. And she managed even to convince people that her her demonization of my mine was traits i actually had mm-hmm. that was horrible you know yeah so but i was thinking why was i attracted to her right. there must be something in my shadow right, right. Um, definitely yeah yeah so my analyst used to say that the success of a rela- a relationship any relationship not just a love relationship um but i i had a very and still do have a friend that i've been We've been friends for 28 years and sometimes we go through difficult times and Mm. so that came up a lot in my analysis, that relationship. And she would say, or she finally, when she said this one thing, it made it all make sense to me. She said that the success of a relationship depends on how willing you are to accept that other person's shadow. Mm. because there are things this is a male friend that I have that I used to work with and then he moved away and I moved away and we've remained friends um it was never a love relationship it was always you know he he's a computer engineer and um a network specialist and so he taught me hang on hang on was this a platonic friend or were you in a relationship yes it was a platonic friend we we never we never had a a, it was never a love relationship it was always computers and photoshop and (laughs) you know it was wi-fi and it was always that kind of thing and and it is to this day and uh, I hope he's not listening to this, but <laughs> why uh, doesn't he agree? <laughs> well, w- we don't, we don't, we never talked about this because it's about things that you, you can't pointing out somebody's shadow material is not a kind thing to do. And no. me being involved in Jungian psychology, it's not that I want to analyze people, but I want to point this stuff out, and that is not right. okay. That is not okay. So it's. If they ask, that's a whole other situation. I agree because I've seen how people are more concerned with other people's shadow than their own, and and right. the only the only practicality about it is is for you to discover your own. Yes, me pointing out your shadow doesn't do anything for you. In fact, the ego can just put up more walls then and yeah. deny more. So I agree. But if so, but if somebody thing. says, you know what. I'm struggling here. I can't see myself. That's the yeah. Tell me, what am I not seeing? Because we all have our blind spots. So um, sure, you, sure. you can do that. But the success of a relationship depends on how tolerant you are of the other person's shadow. Those things that they do that they're not aware they're doing because, as Daryl Sharp said in the very beginning of of when I first started doing the podcast, I think episode one, and this is this running theme that is very important for everybody to keep in mind is I am unconscious most of the time. We are all unconscious most of the time. And so Jung psychology, I think is so vitally important. It is the psychology of uh, complexes and it used to be called complex psychology, but that didn't work. So they changed the name to analytical psychology. <laughs> and Jung didn't consider what he does psychoanalysis. He wanted to distance himself from Freud because he was not in line with what Freud was about. And that, that's to his credit because now we know that Freud falsified his research. So they can show anything for 
that being an effective thing. And and I, I, that's the worst kind of psychologist. You just sit there and you just talk and talk and talk about your mother and your father, and he doesn't even suggest anything. He just is there listening. Yeah. I mean, here in Norway, I'll tell you something. The cognitive therapeuts, they have now, for the first time, they've introduced, and to their credit, mindfulness in their system. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of a complete uh, collapse of their whole rationale because mindfulness is a non-cognitive approach to, mm -hmm. to healing. So when the cognitive therapeutes put that into their system, it's kind of admitting that, hey, we can't just go by this rationally. We actually need more methods to mm, yeah. to heal a person. Yeah. So to to Jung's credit, he realized Freud's system wasn't sufficient. Well, and and I I just heard that this morning that I didn't know. Um, I was listening to an interview with Marie Louise von Franz, and oh, I love her. Yeah, yeah and it was Suzanne Wagner, and she brought up this anti. Semitism that Jung gets accused of, which is so preposterous, and and I didn't know this. Von Franz said that um, it was the Freudians that had started that, and ah, right. yeah, they always yeah. hated, were jealous. Yeah, I mean he had a he had a love relationship to Sabina, so yeah. how anti-Semit can he be? <laughs> By the way, is it true that he had a kinky? Did he spank her and stuff like the movie says? And what was the rationale there? Was that some kind of therapeutic <laughs> alibi or was he just living out his listen, own Listen, shadows? listen, that's Cronenberg. That's a Cronenbergism. Um, so first of all, let, let's unpack that if we have okay. a little bit of time. Sure. I did an interview about that movie Um I was interviewed by Sean Lau of his with his podcast No Totally. Uh, it was all about a dangerous method, but that is a Cronenberg thing that Cronenberg puts S and M in all of his films. Oh, so he just and invented it? Yes, there is no evidence whatsoever, oh. and that's why I think it's a little ironic. the The film is called A Dangerous Method. I think that I think that movies are dangerous in that people believe them. It completely distorts. I mean, most people yeah. get their info from movies like that. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for saying that. That's so <laughs> frustrating because people that don't know anything about Jung are going to say, oh, yeah, I saw that movie. Well, right, right. Right, it, was, it wasn't a documentary. He did have a relationship with S Sabina, but whether or not they were lovers has never been confirmed. But d what's... Ah, is they don't that, even know that. But, right, but... I guess I just think that people are focusing on the wrong thing. Mm. Does it matter if they were lovers? Do, do, do you know who my lovers are? I mean, what? it's private. It's personal. It doesn't matter, but it's. I think it matters if he was spanking her and thinking that was therapeutic. There have I, been I, ideas I, like that. I don't know that he did, but it wouldn't bother me a single bit. Oh, no, no, I'm not judging. But because, because it was in the beginning of his career. And the thing that I love about Jung is that he experimented with all these things. He mm. did all the work and he did the work for us. We are benefiting yep. from the work that he did. He went out there. He put himself out there. Like Absolutely. his relationship with Tony Wolf. He did the hard stuff. Not saying mm. we don't do hard stuff, but we're benefiting from how brave he was. And I don't judge it. And I was looking for um, something when we were talking about the shadow. I think it was something Barbara Davies said. She said, when you've integrated your shadow 
you've ceased becoming judgmental mm. because you know that that's in you too. And there's the speaking of rumors. That's, that's great because mm. I was so judgmental and arrogant when I was younger. Mm. And today I'm completely libertarian on almost everything. Except oh, some political stuff. So, right. so that means that I must have been working a lot with my shadow during these years. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So I, I have it here. These are my notes from my interview with Barbara Davies. Barbara Davies. Sometimes I talk so fast I distort my words. Um, you know what? This isn't Barbara Davies. This is – it doesn't matter. It does matter. For the credit, um, well, yeah, but maybe the name will come to you. Uh, start with describing. It's just that this page starts with note number twenty-five and ends with note number fifty. This person said, "When a person owns their shadow, they're never judgmental." Hmm. And then the note after that says that the collective is still dealing with the shadow completely in projection. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. And that with gurus, uh, the danger is in never touching the shadow. They get right. inflated because they yeah. don't see the shadow. I agree. So important. Yeah. There's so few people who can surface being uh, especially a spiritual leader because you get projected upon. I, I know this because I've been teaching meditation for many years uh -huh. and I've seen how people get experiences and they project it upon me. Mm, yeah and uh, yeah I'll not uh, it, talk more about that but but it's so important the guru thing and it's also bad for the pupil because the pupil will replace his own individuation with the guru yeah he, instead of working with him or herself and their own bad stuff they feel redempted through this outer god that they're projecting everything on so it's a it's an unhealthy mutual re unhealthy relationship Right. And in Jungian analysis, that's called transference and counter-transference. Right, right. And the analyst is trained on how to deal with that. But the guru isn't necessarily dealing with that. And I just want to say that one of the things that differentiates a Jungian analyst from other, from other, uh, I don't know, you know, you can say therapists, psychologists, uh, counselors, Healers. any kind of, yes, is that in order to become a Jungian analyst, you first have to have a postdoctoral degree, or sorry, a postgraduate, not postdoctoral, postgraduate degree. Mm -hmm. So you have to have either an, a master's degree, a PhD or medical degree, an MD. Oh, okay. And then you can qualify to enter a training program. So you can't have just a bachelor degree, just a four-year degree. Right. Right. So then you can you can uh, enter a training program, and then it's an average of seven to ten years of training. So the the main part of that, I, I would say main, is your own personal analysis so that you know your complexes. Okay, so, so so they have that principle that many have that you have to go through this system yourself. Like physician, heal thyself. Yeah. That's the basic. Uh, and, and if you haven't been through the, the own system, you can't help others, right? Yes, exactly. Mm. But yet Good. clinical psychologists in this country, a clinical psychologist with a PhD does not have to undergo 
any kind of analysis. Right. That's so they're, they're bringing, bringing all of their complexes into the room. Yeah. So how do they know when they're talking to their patient if it's their stuff or the patient's stuff? Yeah. No, but I know some. Um, I mean, uh, I have a friend, actually an ex. She's an arts and expression therapy. Uh-huh. And she had to go through that herself. So I thought this was common in all sorts of therapies. No. It's outrageous that you don't have to go through it yourself. Yes. How can you trust that person? I think it's outrageous too. Yeah. yeah. So that's great for the Jungians. Yeah, it's not a weekend seminar either. I see things <laughs> that, yeah, no, yeah. seriously, you uh. go for the weekend and you're given a certificate. No, this is, I think, at least 100 hours of personal analysis while you're in training. So, so, so they all, almost will be retired when they're ready to help you. <laughs> well, that's why if you look through the list of uh, the people that I've I've interviewed, they are up there like in the years. Yes, yeah. yeah, so it looks mm. like this list of old gray men. <laughs> Didn't you? But no, I think you have some women there, don't you? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's just that they just I'm getting having a hard time. Getting them, it's. I've had a very difficult time getting these analysts to agree to be interviewed because this is not their thing. This is not what they do. They work with the individual. Some of them are violently, not violently, but vehemently opposed to speaking publicly like this about your work. Yeah, but there's another thing too that will hurt you here uh, in your request, and that's that because many of them are up in the airs, they're not aware that the new media is yeah. podcasts they think it's wasting time on something yep they, they don't realize that radio and tv and all that stuff is and uh, papers are gone that's a generational thing it's just that, that's true and actually i just had one of them email me and say somebody that i've interviewed twice before in the podcast say that they've gotten emails from people all over the world exactly. in response to yeah my podcast is not huge but i do have listeners all over the world. Um, so they are very impressed by the far reach. And that's because it's online. You know, anybody can access it. Indeed. Yeah. I think we should, you know, first off, what's the web address to get your podcast? It is speakingofyoung.com, speakingofjung.com. It's also available on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all mm. of the podcasting um Apps and websites can access it. You know what we're going to call this show today, by the way? What's that? Forever Jung. Mm, <laughs> I love it. And I believe I believe Jung had this concept of uh, the, the darling, the pet, the favorite. Does that... Uh, that Jung said? Yeah, there's a word. It's in Norwegian. I tried to translate it, but it's it's not. Okay. It's this young, uh, Maria Louise France or whatever her name is, has a book titled this, but it's in my language. So I don't know it, what it becomes in English. Really? Yeah, it's about this young favorite. This, I, I guess maybe it's an archetype. Of the puer? Puer. No. What's that? No. No, that's the eternal boy. Yeah, I'll send you, I'll send you, maybe it is, I'll send I'd you. I'd like to know what that is. Yep, I'll send you later when I research that. By the way, Marie France, what's her name again? Her name is Marie Louise. Louise. It's hyphenated Marie Louise von Franz. So so she's German, not French. 
She's Austrian. <laughs> Austrian, right. And then she became a Swiss citizen. Did she she knew Jung, didn't she? Yeah, she was his closest um I don't they, they use the word disciple. She was his closest colleague. Uh she met him when she was 18 and she worked with him until he died in 61 and she, so she was in her 50s when he died. Maybe maybe she we could call her his successor. Collaborator. That's the word. His closest collaborator. Okay. Um she continued some of his work um but then she she developed parkinson's disease and she died in 1998 and the woman that i keep mentioning that i interviewed um in zurich her name is barbara davies she became von franz's secretary uh late, later in von franz's life because von franz lost the ability to write by hand and you, you, there were no computers back then and mm. um I don't know why they didn't use typewriter, but anyway, uh, she was a von Franz's secretary and she was a clinical psychologist, Barbara Davies, and she became a Jungian analyst, not by going through one of the uh, training programs there, but through her work with von Franz, which was allowed back then. I don't know if it still is, but she received her training directly from von Franz and I love Barbara Davies. I, I'd love to speak with her again. Um, hmm. she, and she, she, but she, like the people in Switzerland, she's quite private and didn't want to share a lot of personal stories and wouldn't go into detail about von Franz's later years or her illness. And um, there's just one thing that she, von Franz didn't want to be medicated because she wanted to stay as conscious as possible right up until the end, which I highly admire. Mm. Okay, this would be a good point for a break okay. because we're at the top of the hour and we'll be right back. All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome to part two of today's psychological, philosophical exploration. And with us, we have the Jungian expert, Laura London. Hi. And we're talking all things Jung. And I've chose to invite you, Laura, for... Uh I mean, I could have a historian or a psychologist or a biographer or whatever but but in a way i think it's an advantage that you who are such a fan of jung and who have devoted your podcast entirely to his work is probably the best pick to represent or or convey his stuff yeah and as i had mentioned to you in email i'm not an analyst no no and i'm not a clinician right and i'm not technically a scholar I have a lot of experience in the Jungian community and I had a very lengthy analysis, right? And I've been studying Jung for a very long time, but not just reading books. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so I've, I get out there mm. and I interact with people and I attend lectures and I attend workshops and seminars and I right, right. went to Zurich and I, I, I think that that's very important. So, right. Now, what would you say is Jung's greatest contribution when it comes to stuff like relationship, gender, yeah, marriage, whatever, sex, all that stuff? Yeah, I think the concept of the anima and the animus are very important that nobody else talked about. Um, his most important contribution, the shadow and projection are two of the things that, well, the, there's three, the complex, which mm. his psychology was originally called complex psychology, but then it changed to analytical psychology because that word. Yeah, could, could you define the complex? Yes. Uh, it's very difficult to explain. I'll see what I can do. A complex is a charged piece of our history that gets activated that can get activated by something which will affect us um, in our emotionally and physically. Mm. So it's this, this rush of, um, of charged energy, it charged ideas and images. Right. And whenever we know that we've been and the buzzword right now is triggered. Yeah. That is an indication that we're in a complex. And when we are in a complex, we are not in the present moment. No. The danger is that we think we are, and we will argue that we are. Right. But we're not. So a trauma can create a complex? Yeah. But anything can create a complex. You know, we have a mother complex and we have a father complex. Right, right. And uh, Daryl Sharp talked about how he had a Beatles complex. Anything that... <laughs> but, uh, speaking of mother and father, sorry, uh, but yeah. this is important. Where is Jung on that? Because that was Freud's yeah. big, big deal, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was Freud's big deal. Jung talked about imagos, that we have these inner images that we carry with us. And Jung was into archetypes. I mean, I, he wasn't, I, I, I get people correcting me on Twitter all the time and, and I don't know, I can't study everything. Mm -hmm. So somebody that studied some ancient thing that I know nothing about will come at me and tell me that, you know, Jung wasn't the first and so-and-so talked about this before and that's fine that's fine yeah I, i'm one of them who agree. i wouldn't correct you but i agree with that but but like i told you off air jung's feather huge feather is that he brought many ancient and timeless concepts yes. into academia into therapy and scientists made it you know gave it terms and stuff so Credit isn't important here. It's the concepts that's important. Yeah. So, but archetypes, I believe archetypes would be one of the most important contribution he, he did uh, come with. But go, go on. Right. Uh, well, and another thing about Jung is that, that I don't know if a lot of people know, he didn't just make up this, this school of psychology. And, he, you know, it, it, I'm not going to liken it to anything else, but... He didn't just make up a bunch of stuff. He was a student of so many things. Mm. And you had talked about alchemy earlier, and it wasn't until a little bit later that he really got into alchemy. But 
he did pull in from lots of other times and thoughts and religions and just everything. Everything. He was everything. so well versed in traditions. Yes, and- everything he could get his hands on. And he traveled and he went to Africa and he went to India and he came here to the United States. And he didn't willy nilly pick either. He verified, he researched, he checked, he tried. Yes. It was important for him to get to the truth. Yes. In that yes. way, he was kind of religious because he believed in yes. uh, eternal um, values, you know, something that's. A higher reality in a way, a, a, a bigger reality, a, a more real, true, not just relativism. Mm. Well, I know that he believed in God and he talked very uh, a lot about um, his religious upbringing. His father was a pastor. They were Swiss Reformed um, church members. And I've actually been inside that church, uh, the, the church that he attended in Kusnacht and where his funeral was said and so, and I, I've actually taken video inside that church and I don't know where it is. It's somewhere in maybe my Vimeo account. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you why I'm so interested in Jung. Yes, please. Apart from the obvious stuff. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> he was a member of a mystery school. Most academician doesn't know that or they doesn't want to acknowledge it, of course. Uh, and it's called Hermetische Gesellschaft. In fact, it has different names in different parts of the world. And uh, there were, he was especially active around a scorner circle in Monteveritas and other members of that school were the Nobel Prize winner Wolfgang Pauli, who actually, I think, yes. launched the synchronicity thing. Yes. There were Gustav Meyrink, Thomas Mann, Stefan Schweig. Uh, Henry Corbin, Mircea Eliade, Hermann Hesse, Lama Govinda. Mm-hmm. There was uh, Gershom Skolem and uh, Elisabeth Heisch and a lot of very famous people in the Germanophonic world. And <laughs> so I'm, I'm very interested in Jung for those reasons nice. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But most academicians are not aware. So, but at least they're not aware that he picked up many of his notions there. You know, from the esoteric, he's you. You know, of course, he studied alchemy. He studied oh yes, astrology, tarot, all these things. So uh, he brought that into psychology, and that's his great contribution. That he took the philosophia perennis, you know, the the eternal philosophy, and he brought it mm-hmm. into academia, and that's quite a feat in my book. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I just would like to acknowledge that it's wonderful to hear you say that and to acknowledge that. So thanks for sharing that with me. Sure. So where are we going? Uh, Complexes, archetypes. Did we cover archetypes? Not not to the degree it deserves. Um, He he said that at at the root of, we were just speaking about complexes, at the core of every complex is an archetype. Right. And that we heal through images. And he also talked about the difference between a sign and a symbol. Yeah. And that a sign is... um, That's where his esoteric sides come in. Okay, right. Which you know more about. But a sign is... A sign identifies something. So Mm. it's like maybe an insignia on a uniform that identifies the wearer. Yeah, a logo. Whereas a symbol, right, a logo. Yeah, whereas a symbol is an expression of something unknown. Yeah. Something more, right? Mm. So it eludes our present knowledge. And 
one of the things that was very difficult for me when I first started doing the work, very difficult because mm-hmm. I have such a strong sensation function is to look at things symbolically. Right. Yes. And that was all new to me when I started doing that. And it's still not my, well, it's become more my nature. But, but that's very deep. You said you weren't very intuitive and the best approach, I believe, to Uh, symbols is intuition so maybe that's why and also i'm usually saying that if a picture says uh, more than a thousand word Mm -hmm. a symbol says more than a thousand pictures yeah (laughs) because like jung acknowledged a symbol whereas a a sign i mean i can make a sign now and then Mm -hmm. uh, we can agree upon what it represents right sure but a symbol is supposed to be a bridge between our daily consciousness and the huge collective unconscious. In fact, he agreed that a symbol can be a, a doorway to to what we in, in, in spirituality could call the gods. Mm-hmm. It can be a... Um, it's something that has objective, yeah, archetypal uh, values or, or functions and can be animated within man. You can have a living relationship to this. And we see this in religion. I mean, how many people Mm -hmm. doesn't relate to, let's say, Jesus, like it's their personal lover or something? I mean, (laughs) this happens in the psyche anyway, even if people are aware of it or not. And, And Jung said that the formation of symbols is going on all the time within the psyche. I mean, that's what dreams are. Right. Dreams yes. are not literal. They're symbolic. And, and fantasies are symbolic, too. And I think that we have a tendency to take fantasies literally and not say, um, for instance, when I first started visiting New Mexico uh, over 20 years ago, I, I mean, I was in love with that place. And I would go there up to four or five times a year. And I would just daydream a lot. That's a fantasy, a daydream mm-hmm. that that I was there. And so my analyst said, well, what, what is the Taos in you? You know, what does that symbolize? Because I wanted to make it literal all the time. Oh, that means I should move there. You know, that means I need to go there. Well, no, it's about bringing what Taos symbolizes Hmm. into my daily life. Because it was, it was in tr- the images were intruding my daily life. I'd be trying to work and I couldn't get, you know, flashbacks or, you know, memories of Taos. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Well, what could I incorporate into my daily life from that? So right, right. It, I, I would, oh, I was always looking at life literally. And this has taught me to look at it more symbolically, not just, um, not just dreams are symbolic, but. Other things are, everything is symbolic. <laughs> everything. No, but, uh, yeah, but I believe, in fact, we would violate the whole Jungian uh, concept if we didn't touch a little about dreams. Uh, and I have to say to our sure. defense, if people think we're tangoing very superficially around these topics now, it's because we have one and a half hour and right. this is material for 
one and a half lifetime of study. Yes. So what can you expect, right? But at least we're introducing these concepts and yes. people who want to delve deeper, no problem. Go to Laura's podcast. Thank you. And she takes it further. But let's get to dreams. I think we sure. need to mention that too, because you said daydreams, but night dreams. Yep. That's where that higher language, the language of the soul, symbols, if you like, takes place. Mm. How can we relate to that practically? Because I believe that's an important part in Jungian therapy, isn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. It's the main, I think that it's the main part because mm. in analysis, we are trying to have a dialogue with the unconscious. And as James Hollis says, the problem with the unconscious is that it's unconscious. So, it, <laughs> yeah. right. So it's, if, if it weren't, then it wouldn't be the unconscious. If we're conscious of it, it's not the unconscious. No. So dreams are these spontaneous manifestations of the unconscious and, um, they're not deliberate there. We don't, we don't orchestrate them. We don't say what we you know, we, we don't control them. Right? right. So there's something that there's something that's trying to get our attention and dreams in, in, from a Jungian perspective, compensate our daily waking life. So we can look to our dreams to figure out where we're being one-sided in our, in our everyday life because it's something that's trying to get our attention, which is the other side. Because the psyche, here's my go-to, the psyche is always seeking balance. So if something's trying to get my attention, it's trying to show me where I'm being one-sided. Hmm. Okay, so they they are compensating something. And then there's this whole other theory about there's a different type of dream. There's a compensatory dream and a different kind of dream. I don't know. It's new. So I don't know what that is. Um, again, these are not hard and fast rules. Okay. Um, so it's a dream work. So, so hang on. So people are renewing the system and introducing new elements. Yeah. I don't like that because as I said before, <laughs> you're a Puritan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm a purist and we haven't even begun to understand what Jung was saying. I think right. that not only was he ahead of his time, but he it, is it, it, what I'm doing through my podcast is I'm just trying to do my little piece and keeping his work alive. Mm. That's how important I feel it is. And like I said before, I didn't just become fascinated with him and latch onto it. I've dabbled in so many different things, so many different things. And I always come back to Jung because it is to me what makes the most sense. And it's what it's what's valid. It's what speaks to me. It's not for everybody, but it is what speaks to me. So the dream work that we do in analysis is not easy. And like Marion Woodman say, said, it has sometimes taken her 20 years to understand a dream symbol. It was that huge. Mm. So a, another thing that said is that it's like having a 2 million year old person inside of us. And wouldn't you want to consult somebody that's 2 million <laughs> years old? <laughs> Yeah, I'd have some questions for that. Yeah, person. which also I think another thing we didn't we didn't mention is um, when you had asked me about what's what's Jung's most important contribution, mm. and that might very well be the collective unconscious. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 
So I mean, that's even being integrated into hard science now, physics and stuff like that, mm-hmm. biology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the collective unconscious, we have a personal unconscious, and the collective unconscious is made up of it's this it's this other layer of all the inherited elements. But can you call the personal unconscious? Mm-hmm. Is it okay to call that subconsciousness? I'm getting into terms now because I, I know uh, that that's not his term. I know, I know, uh, I know that's a modern term. Yeah, but wouldn't that equal the personal unconscious? I think not. I think that if something is below the level, I, I don't know if we're splitting hairs here. If mm. something is below the level of consciousness, I don't know that that makes it unconscious. Maybe it does. Good point. But I wouldn't refer to it as subconscious. Good point. Do you do you know the difference between sub and un? If yeah. it's un, it is not. If it is sub, it is below. Mm. So to me, they mean different things. It's true. It's same with supra consciousness, which is above. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can you can become conscious of subconscious and supra conscious aspects. So they well, when you bring something un- out of the unconscious, what what we do in analysis, it's no longer unconscious. Exactly. Yeah, and so dreams is You're transforming it. One mm-hmm, dreams is one way of of finding out what's going on in the unconscious. Artwork is another way, and I love that. I did that a lot in analysis because dream work was very difficult for me, extremely difficult. But mm. for me to draw and then bring that those drawings in and have my analysts look at that, that I love doing. Yeah, you know, uh, arts and expression therapy, uh-huh. they use a lot of Jungian concepts. Uh, and, and, they, uh, and this has been researched and it's proven that the most effective healing method, probably the most, at least it's extremely effective, mm-hmm. even on huge traumas, yep. like, like uh, war, uh, refugees and stuff, yep. is to use your creativity. Did Jung yeah. say anything about this? Oh, yeah. I, I can't understand. I can't believe he didn't. He wasn't aware oh, of this. Oh, yeah. The creative function, huge, huge, huge. It's about healing. And that's yeah. how we heal. But I just want to say we we're talking about the collective unconscious and people want to know what that is. Yeah. It contains all the spiritual her- her- heritage of our evolution. And it is... Um, it makes his psychology, I think, different than any other psychology is he takes this into consideration is that there is this other layer of the unconscious that and he and he came up with this theory because of how he ha- observed these recurring motifs in other cultures during his travels. Hmm. So, yes, the mythological motifs. Could we call it the genes or the DNA of our consciousness, metaphorically? Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. Because people are very materialistic today. They, they, they yeah. acknowledge this heritage when it comes to the body, like genes and DNA. Mm-hmm. But his concept is immaterial, metaphysical almost. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't it be equivalent? Yeah, and it's, I, I don't know. That's interesting. I'd have to think about that. Okay. The genes and the DNA. Yeah. Yeah, because it's in there. Mm. So... Um, yeah, but I love what you said about art therapy and what I'm doing with my podcast is I'm trying to fill in holes right now. And for instance, I, I recognize that I hadn't done an episode on dreams. So back toward the end of last year, 
I had an, a Zurich train analyst talk about dreams and now I have an art therapist coming on. Um, she's actually, I just nice. interviewed her husband, Stephen Foster and his wife, Nora Swan Foster is a Jungian analyst and an art therapist at the Neuropa Institute. What, what was her husband? Was that the guy who talked about the tarot? Yes. Uh, good podcaster. Go and check it out people. Thank you. Stephen Foster. Yeah. He actually, he wrote a book about, um, environmental waste of uh, and natural disasters from a Jungian perspective. But we really didn't talk about that because I wanted to talk about the tarot because that's something that I've been wanting to cover. <laughs> yeah. And that's a system of symbols. That's a kind of a dream language in a way. Yeah. And you see that the uh, surrealists and the symbolists, and I, I believe Jung must have been influenced a little. He encountered them, but they are big on those things too. Mm-hmm. You know, you saying well, Jung was quite an artist. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the Red Book. No, I didn't know that. Yes, wow. Jung was a, a very accomplished. He was Did a stonemason too. He painted l- beautiful. You can find them online, and um, oh, I check it out. If you look at the Red Book, which was his journal, his diary when he split with Freud, he went through this incredibly difficult time. People call it different things, but it's, it's the, I guess the proper way of explaining it is it it was his encounter with the, with his unconscious and he Mm. drew and he painted and the red book I think part of the reason why it's so expensive, well, first of all, it's enormous. It's this gigantic book and it's filled with his artwork Mm. and they did a really good job of, of, of when they scanned his artwork for the book. So he was a wonderful painter and a stonemason. He carved stone and uh, he had a retreat on Lake Zurich in Bollingen. Oh, it's still in the family and his, his work, his, the, the stone that he carved um, wasn't just one, it was multiple, but he's best known for this cube that he carved three sides yeah. of it. And Maud Oakes wrote a book about how everything about Jung's individuish, individuation process is reflected in what he carved in that stone. And it's called The Stone Speaks. So you see, we can go on and on and on and still just scratch the surface of what Jung was about. Absolutely. Um, One quick uh, question. Sure. Yeah. Uh, For people who are not so familiar with all this stuff, but are interested in the pop side of it, like, you know, you can go online and check out Myers-Briggs and find your own, uh, you know, who do you... Yeah, I know, all that stuff (laughs) that you don't like. But... It can be an introduction to Jung, you know? It can give a taster. Is there anywhere online where people can find the Jungian personality system so they can check where they are now and how they relate to the partner, you know, like populism version? Well, um, I'm sure you would get a completely different answer from most people. But since you're asking me, Mm -hmm. I will say that um, because it's true to Jung's model of typology, there is a free ebook that anybody can download and read from innercitybooks.net. Cool. 
Okay. There's a link to it. You can just go to innercitybooks.net and click on free ebooks. It's called Personality Types, Jung's Model of Typology. Nice. Or you can go to my website, speakingofjung.com, and check out the two episodes I did with Daryl Sharp, who wrote that book. Oh, episodes nice. One, yeah, episodes one and five. He is the founder and the general editor of the publishing house Inner City Books. And he so generously has made, I think there are about six ebooks available. There's another one of de- all the definitions to Jungian terms. It's called C.G. Jung Lexicon. Great. That's another free ebook that's available there as well. Hmm. Good tips. Good tips. So, because uh, I believe his system of personality uh, is extremely important. And if you're working with systems like astrology, alchemy, tarot, Ayurveda, mm-hmm. and even Kabbalah, I would say, you can find yep. uh, stuff there that can translate it into psychology. It will be a very good bridge between your occult work and this uh, Jungian psychology work. Because he translated to terms we all can understand and relate to. Yeah. And uh, reveals a lot of, of how people are influenced and relates to that. Mm-hmm. So, so that's a great tip, uh, Laura. Sure. Hey, um, I want to say, closing down here, that... Um, uh, one of the reasons I recommend your show is, uh, first off, you're a Puritan, so we know that we won't get bullshit like we would get in many who just flirts with it. I mean, you, you're disclaiming and saying you're not uh, fully educated, blah, blah, blah. Look, I discovered that it was Alex of Skeptical who made me aware of it, I think, that podcasters mm-hmm. are in a very special situation because we talk with so many experts that we get an overview, in addition to adapt, if we have some personal interest, that makes us uh, a special kind of generalists in, in these fields. Good point. I like that. So I believe when it comes to Jung, you're probably uh, up there. Well, I wouldn't... I, 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 I do want to say it's not that I'm not educated. I am educated. I'm not a Jungian analyst. Right. I just want to clarify that. Yeah. No, and it's brilliant. And another reason I like your show is that you get on these um, giants who within this field uh, are very good representatives. So it's a very good source to, to get stuff. A third thing I like with your podcasts is that it's very calm in-depth shows old school almost like i love like i try to do but i can't help myself i interrupt too much <laughs> but no that's it is, fine i do too yeah okay but uh, yeah but you have something to say and that's that's the big rule of interrupting um, <laughs> so it's it's a very good conversations going on there and uh, yeah you steer them in very interesting directions so thank it's, you very good quality. I really enjoy them. and, and oh, I appreciate that. Thank you. So I do recommend it. Now, I have a question about, I picked up somewhere. I don't remember where. Maybe you told me. I don't know. But okay. you're, actually, you're actually popping up in Richard Hoagland's show. What's up with that? Am I? Yeah, I heard something about you're a contributor or something. I, look. Okay, l- 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 <laughs> let me let me let me clear that up. That's not negative in my book. It's just it's just a very interesting little curiosity. Okay, let me clear that up. So, yeah. back in the mid 1990s, I started listening to Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Right. It was on AM radio. 
and it was on at night and there was no such thing as podcasts or listening to it, internet radio, none of that existed. So I used to love to listen to that late at night. And then Art Bell had his own website, artbell.com. They started making the shows available online. I would listen to them. I would stream them. Then they made them downloadable. Then Whitley got Dreamland. And then, then I had gotten to meet Whitley Strieber a few times. So I was always very interested in the UFO field and in alternative, just alternative news. I was interested in a lot of the topics. Yeah, you said you were a remote viewer. Yes, a lot of the topics. By the way, was that Courtney Brown's uh, school or? No, no. My, no, I went to, I trained with Simeon Hine. Simeon Hine, H-E-I-N, in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. Then I actually did train with, um, it was only for a week, with one of Courtney's students in Massachusetts, in Cambridge. I trained with her. But then I found my real teacher in David Morehouse, who is a bit of a controversial figure. Again, when I hear people criticize people that they've never met or spent time with, it makes me angry triggers a complex. <laughs> I spent a lot of time. I've spent weeks with David Morehouse, weeks of long days, you know, mm. with him and his wife. So I know him. I didn't just read some rumor about him on the internet. No, that's okay. Which, I don't even know who it is. So, but anyway, so, so, so as far as Hoagland show, I, when Art had to wait out his non-compete after he did his serious show, on Sirius Satellite Radio for a few months, and then he ended that and had to wait out a two-year non-compete clause. He came out with his own, a new show called Midnight in the Desert. Right. And Richard C. Hoagland had started his show, uh, The Other Side of Midnight, at the same time. Back then, it was in, I think it was in 2015 that they did this. I was very interested in the Apollo missions to the moon. It was like my, my little secret obsession where I was reading everything. No wonder the moon is a symbol for the unconscious, you know, the collective unconscious. Yeah. I love (laughs) so into it. Yeah. So I was listening to what Hoagland had to say on old episodes of Coast to Coast AM. And then synchronistically, he came out with his own show. So Mm. I was very excited about listening to that. And then Art only stayed with his show for a few months. And it was taken over by a woman who I didn't know who she was. And I I wasn't interested in in hearing her show. So Mm. I just was listening to Hoagland's show. And it seemed to be really the only thing out there. I had grown um, a little tired, not of George Norrie, but of the format that Coast to Coast AM had taken. At the time, it was full of commercials. It was, every once in a while, he had a guest I was interested in, but for the most part, it was people I was not interested in. And Hoagland was having interesting things talking about the space program. Exactly. And so um, I... Again, synchronistically, at the time, went to Cape Canaveral and went to the Global Pyramid Conference and went to Contact in the Desert and started becoming um, very active here in Chicago at the Adler Planetarium and the speakers that they would bring in astronauts. So I was very into a lot of that subject matter. So 
I was very excited about the show in the beginning and called in a few times, but he, um, he's not interested in anything I have to say anymore. And so I've not been on his show since the eclipse show. I was actually on the path of totality when the total solar eclipse happened back in August Mm. and actually traversed the entire continental United States. And I was right when it exited the U S on the East coast. I was in a town called Charleston, South Carolina, which was on the path of totality. And he was doing a show about the eclipse the night before. Mm. So, which I think was Sunday night because the eclipse was exact on Monday afternoon. So he asked me to call in. I said, no, I was in Charleston. I was with my family. I was not near a computer. I couldn't call in. And he insisted that I did. And so I caved in and I called in. That was the last time I was on his show. But um, he, he doesn't respond to my emails anymore. And he's doing his own thing. And uh, I have no contact with him anymore. Okay. I, I, I figure maybe it was our mutual friend, uh, Andrew, who facilitated that contact. But uh. No, actually, I got to know Andrew through Hoagland's show because right. Andrew did an episode. Uh, Andrew's an art therapist right. in Vancouver. And they did – Andrew was Hoagland's guest to talk about Alan Bean – the Apollo astronaut from uh, Apollo 12, he walked on the moon and he's an artist. And Andrew um, did an entire episode of The Other Side of Midnight about Alan Bean's work, which I found fascinating. And so... um, Andrew is an artist too. Yeah, he's an artist and an art therapist. You're right. He's not just an art therapist. He's a brilliant artist. Mm. And he actually did a portrait of me that's on my website, Speakingofyoung.com, it's on the donate page. I'll check that out. Yeah, very generous of him. And and Andrew is also contributing to Hoagland's new book. Oh, yes, he is. Yes, A War in Heaven. But we need to, we need to, I need to get to the gym before it closes. (laughs) I understand that. I'm going to be going here in a couple hours myself. Thanks, But you know what, Laura, it's been an absolute delight tangoing with you. Thank you. Likewise, mm. I'd love speaking with you. You've got some brilliant ideas and I'm excited to listen back to this because you said some things that I hadn't heard before. And, Food um, for thought. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for inviting and, me. And it goes both ways, of course. So I appreciate that. And thank you for educating us and all that stuff. So check it out, uh, people. Speaking about Jung. No, was it that? Speaking of Jung? Speaking of Jung. Yes, yeah. J-U-N-G. Okay, great to connect with you, Laura. I like your energy. Thank you, Al. I really appreciate hearing your thoughts. Um, I, I, I really do. So, yeah, let's keep in touch. Oh, I mean, my thoughts, I'm, I'm trying to contain myself. Uh, if we ever really sat down uh, with I a know. coffee, you'll hear my thoughts. Right. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm trying to rein myself in all the You're time, like too. So I get it. Well, today it was, uh, I, I tried to make it about you. We'll see how the edit turns out very good, I think. So it will be okay. uh, endurable. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, fine. Great. Okay. okay. Thank, you. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Thanks, Al. Bye-bye. 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 Thanks again to Laura for patiently educating us on the Jungian philosophy. I will sprinkle it some more with quotes directly from the horse's mouth, After these reminders, 
first remember to like both our channels at YouTube. If you think you've done it already, check, because the new algorithm unsubscribes many people from independent media and over to MSM. Subbing to our channels is as important as donations and spreading our shows, which is what keeps us going. Also, we're drowning in inquiries. Understand that if you want to reach me, the simplest way is to log into the forum at our website. Yes, we have a forum there. I do not always read or reply to comments at YouTube, neither do I normally deal with any email whatsoever, and even the social media accounts are run by forum team members. If I were to personally take care of these things, there would be no shows. And even with this invaluable help from tireless idealists, we are far behind on everything as it is. So, so please don't address our different outlets believing you're getting a message across directly to me as your forum host. Only at our website forum will you be guaranteed to reach me. It's just about sensible priorities. And of course, if you've donated, sign up at our website and tell us you've done both. From this year, soon, we will uh, go over to subscription-based access to the website, meaning you have to donate monthly, a minimum of one dollar. More about this at our website. Now, before parting, consider these winged words of Carl Jung. Sensation tells us a thing is. Thinking tells us what it is this thing is. Feeling tells us what this thing is to us. Thinking is difficult. That's why most people judge. Where wisdom reigns, there is no conflict between thinking and feeling. Mistakes are, after all, the foundations of truth, and if a man does not know what a thing is, it is at least an increase in knowledge, if he knows what it is not. Show me a sane man, and I will cure him for you. A shoe that fits one person pinches another. There is no recipe for living that suits all cases. There's no coming to consciousness without pain. The meeting of two personalities is like the contact of two chemical substances. If there is any reaction, both are transformed. Knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness of other people. Everything that irritates us about others can lead us to an understanding of ourselves. The pendulum of the mind oscillates between sense and nonsense, not between right and wrong. Loneliness does not come from having no people around you, but from being unable to communicate the things that seems important to you, or from holding certain views which others find inadmissible. 
The first half of life is devoted to forming a healthy ego. The second half is going inward and letting go of it. Through pride we are ever deceiving ourselves, but deep down, below the surface of the average man's conscience, he hears a voice whispering, there is something not right. No matter how much his rightness is supported by public opinion or moral code. Anyone who attempts to do both, to adjust to his group and at the same time pursue his individual goals, becomes neurotic. I have frequently seen people become neurotic when they content themselves with inadequate or wrong answers to the questions of life. They seek position, marriage, reputation, outward success of money and remain unhappy and neurotic even when they have attained what they were seeking. Such people are usually confined within too narrow a spiritual horizon. Their life has not sufficient content, sufficient meaning. If they are enabled to develop into more spacious personalities, the neurosis generally disappears. The best political, social and spiritual work we can do is to withdraw the projection of our shadow onto others. I am not what happened to me. I am what I choose to become. We cannot change anything until we accept it. Condemnation does not liberate, it oppresses. Where love rules, there is no will to power, and where power predominates, love is lacking. The one is the shadow of the other. You are what you do, not what you say you'll do. The most terrifying thing is to accept oneself completely. The privilege of a lifetime is to become who you truly are. Often the hands will solve a mystery that the intellect has struggled with in vain. People will do anything, no matter how absurd, in order to avoid facing their own souls. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Nights through dreams tell the myths forgotten by the day. No tree can grow to heaven unless its roots reach down to hell. There are as many nights as days, and the one is just as long as the other in the year's course. Even a happy life cannot be without a measure of darkness, and the word happy would lose its meaning if it were not balanced by sadness.
Your vision will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside dreams? Who look inside awakens? Grounded in the natural philosophy of the Middle Ages, alchemy formed a bridge on the one hand into the past to Gnosticism and on the other into the future to the modern psychology of the unconscious. In all chaos there is a cosmos, in all disorder a secret order. So for today, hope you found worth in staying with us. Your host has been Al, with my sincere thanks to the forum team and your generous support. Be seeing you. number one.